So I hope you've had a great week. I wonder this, so how have you done, if you were here last week, you knew what we're talking about, how have you done this week at Choosing Joy? So-so? Or If you had a great week and joy was able to be accomplished even in the midst of frustration, raise your hand, I want to celebrate that. Let's praise God, a few people have been able to do that, that's great. One thing we put into practice, and, and I want you guys to know this, whenever you're challenged with frustration or fear, choose to be grateful. Choose to pray for others, especially those who are in partners with the gospel, Paul says. And then he says, trust Jesus, because there is not joy apart from trusting in him. Before we move on, I want to give you just a couple things uh, to be aware of. On September 26th, uh, we made a choice just this week uh, to have an outdoor service on that morning. That outdoor service will only take place at 8.30. This allows us to still have a contemporary service in here at 10.30, depending on if people want to be inside or outside. Multiple choices coming up. So spread the word. If you know someone maybe who has uh, stayed away because of space and concerns of coming indoors, we'd love to have them with us on September 26th outside at 8.30. Uh, That's a traditional service. And then at 1030 is going to be something much like here today uh, with their normal service at that time. Children's ministry and everything, Sunday school that day will go on as normal. Another thing for today, if you're a college student or college age, we'd love to have you stay for lunch in the Family Life Center. There's going to be a taco bar. So college students, college age uh, people, uh, please stay and enjoy that time of fellowship. um, And it's going to be a great time. Hey, I loved hearing this week about some people who chose joy, Uh, especially one teenage young man was having a frustrating moment at home with a sibling. Uh, I can imagine world and pressures of everything going on and felt anxiety building. There may have even been just a little bit of fighting going on. And he says, now stop. Let's all choose joy. Okay. That's what this young man did. I love that. Just that choice, while it doesn't fix everything, it reminds us that sometimes we get focused on the wrong thing. And different frustrations of this world can rob us of our joy. I don't know if you're uh, driving automobiles and pumping your own gas. This may be a frustrating thing that's ever happened. It happened recently to me. Uh, that frustration when the guy pulls in front of you and steals the pump that you've been waiting on for four or five minutes. That just can be frustrating. Cuts right in front of you. Or maybe the girl, who, uh, woman who cuts in front of you at the grocery store with her cart, cuts you right off and her cart's full of stuff. Frustration. Or how about this? Uh, The guy, the neighbor who decides to cut his grass on a Labor Day weekend at 5 a.m. can be frustrating. Or that friend who still quotes Joey from Full House, cut it out. You guys remember that quote? That friend that still says that? It's just annoying. Some of you aren't even old enough to remember Full House, okay? But in all reality, there's things that can rob our focus. Much greater than annoyance of a weird quote or a guy at the gas station, things like sickness can lead to frustration and fear. Social injustice can be infuriating. It it can be uh, downright distracting where you can't think of anything but how this person has been wronged. Like our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan or people right here in Bond County who are overlooked for for a number of reasons, who are are scrutinized for things that are unhealthy or, or downright sin It steals our joy. And yet Paul says in Philippians, in the letter to the church in Philippi, here's what he writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Always be full of joy in the Lord. 
I will say it again, rejoice. And you might be thinking, if you weren't here last week, well, Paul's life was easy. He, was, he saw Jesus face to face. While Paul wrote this, I want to remind you, he's in prison. And it's not because he did something uh, that he deserved to be there. He was wrongfully placed in prison, chained to a, a soldier, likely. And he's saying, rejoice. We need to say that to ourselves again today and live it. The definition that we have for working with joy this series is this. Joy is experiencing great delight through trusting the Lord and anticipating his promise regardless of current circumstances. As I was coming up with this working definition, I brought it before the elders one night and I said, hey, is there a, a word that I could use here for, for joy, experiencing great delight? You know, happiness is not uh, good enough. Uh, a lot of words, uh, uh, extreme excitement, uh, there, there's not really a, a, an English word that can properly define what joy is. And yet we're trying to obtain it this month as we pursue it, as we choose joy See, happiness and joy can often be confused. For example, and guys, some of you will really relate to this, some ladies as well, but today some of you will experience an emotion that you have not felt for almost a year. You're going to turn on the TV and what happens in your heart and your mind and even your body will excite you and it will almost be contagious in your house, but don't let that emotion fool you as pure joy or real joy. Because it's a happiness that could be fickle. But it's fun to watch. Go ahead and watch a clip of what could happen in many houses today. Watch this. To start the half for Minnesota. 13th play of the drive. Case Keenum throws a touchdown. First touchdown of the game for either team. It goes to Kyle Rudolph. It's Duck Duck Goose. <laughs> hey, how, how many of you are happy NFL's back? Yeah. It's something that can bring happiness and, and maybe a feeling of joy for a moment, but what happens when the quarterback that threw that touchdown the second half gets hurt or your team loses in overtime? What you thought was joy is now misery, and it was never joy. It was just excitement and happiness, and we need to understand the difference between the two. For some people, though, living out joy is easier than others. My parents seem to have joy figured out growing up. My mom and dad modeled joy well. They had the ability to celebrate when God was at work in our lives and even the smallest of things. Uh, even during times of frustration, mom would say, hey, we just need to praise the Lord. Uh, I, I've told you this before. My mom was the type of, of mother that, that could uh, say praise the Lord for seemingly the, the simplest of things. We'd be at the grocery store and she would need one more ingredient for a recipe and we, we couldn't find it. And then all of a sudden we found it and she'd be right in the middle of the store. Praise Jesus. And I was like, mom, it's, it's just soup, okay? It's Campbell's. But they really did, throughout our lives, do very well at slowing down and thanking God in the good times of happiness and in the sorrows of struggle. They were trusting in Jesus. And I would submit to you, there's no, there's no joy uh, apart from trusting in Jesus. However, my mom did take it to the extreme. And sometimes it was just a little bit annoying. Uh, she was just a joyful, happy person. Uh, here, here's a picture of my mom and dad again. And, and uh, they, they were just an ability to, to thrive in life. But mom would come into our bedroom. My brother and I always shared a bedroom. And she would wake us up for school. I would set the alarm for like work and basketball practice. But for school, she's going to have to get me up, okay? So she'd come in the room, or maybe it was church on Sunday. And she would just stand in the middle of the door. And uh, you'd kind of sense her in the, she was in the room. And you'd probably, uh, honestly, I would just kind Kind of ignore her for a little while, but she would do this. She'd break out into song, rise and shine, give God the glory, glory, rise and shine, give God the glory, glory, rise and shine and give God the glory, glory, children of the Lord. 
And if you ignored her and pretended like you were still sleeping, she would start again. So it was a good incentive to get out of bed. She had an ability day in and day out, no matter how cold, no matter how dark, no matter how bummed the family was about this or that, she would do that type of choice every day to give God glory, to, to rise and shine. What an amazing testimony. Now, for many of us, including myself, that is not how I translate joy every morning. And I'm not suggesting that that's what you try to apply to your life. If that's your, if that's your makeup, go for it. It's, it's what a blessing is. I look back on life and, and I'm so thankful that my mom and dad both modeled joy in their own ways. So how can you do it? I want to remind you, last week we talked about when you're looking at the glass and you're, you're tempted to look at the empty part of the glass and, and what's not there, uh, you've got to be reminded of the, of the blessings and, and say, God, we thank you. We, we're giving you gratitude for the blessings in life. So, so spend time in thanksgiving to the things you have. And often you'll realize the list of blessings far outweigh the burdens. Secondly, Paul told us last week to pray for our partners in Christ. Pray for our brothers and sisters, especially those that were in partnership with the gospel. And then finally, he says, be confident in Christ. I wonder how you, how you put that in practice this week. This week, I've asked the elders to give us a little report, to give us a, a glimpse into their heart and their minds about how they're doing these three things. And they gave me some amazing things they've been uh, applying to their life about these three categories. For the first one, it is a sense of gratitude. And they shared with me some of the things they are very grateful about. I've got a list of them here. Your elders are currently grateful and praying to God about this. They're thankful for Jesus' sacrifice and the forgiveness of sins that we just celebrated communion. They're thankful for the Holy Spirit. They're thankful for God's grace, his patience, comfort, faithfulness, his word, and unconditional love. They're thankful for their families, their children, and their grandchildren. They're thankful for you, their Christian friends. They are thankful, more than one of them said this, they're thankful that we're a five generations church, that we have uh, children, we have college age people, and we have people uh, that, that have been faithful for a hundred years. They're also thankful for each new day. In more than one of them, I think they were in, uh, very much attuned of what we've been focusing on because we've been trying to do this. They're thankful for real joy. Here's some of the things they're praying for, our partners. The elders are praying for some of these partners, and this is not a complete list, but just what's on their hearts right now. Shiloh Christian uh, Children's Ranch, Haitian Christian Outreach, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, the Restore Network, our children's and student ministry that's getting ready to launch in a, a big way, the FCC staff, FCC ministry team leaders, and they are praying for three churches right now that we're in relationship with, the Restore Christian Church, Forum Christian Church, and Purpose Church. I'm so thankful that, that when we have birds, we're like, I don't know what we're going to do, that these guys are praying for others. And here's where their confidence is in Christ. They are confident of God's eternal life with Jesus. They're confident that God's promises in Christ are yes, each and every one of them. If you see any promise in the Bible, here's what the Bible says about itself, that every one of God's promises are yes in Christ. They, they believe that. They're confident that Christ has overcome the world. They're confident that he's present in every situation. And they finally said, and more than any other thing right now, because it's their vision, they're confident in the hope we have in Jesus and that hope changes everything. I'm so thankful 
that they are putting that in practice. And it's a reminder that, that we have to share with one another. There's days I come uh, to the elders meetings. I'll, I'll be a little bummed and I'll tell them and they're reminding me of the hope. They're reminding you today of the hope in that same way. They are human and, and they have needs and worries, but in those things, they're winning that battle and choosing joy. So how do you do that no matter where you're at? It's not always easy. Tiffany and I have lived and worked in three regions. Southern Indiana, uh, kind of northern, north central uh, Illinois, and now here in Greenville. And we've loved all three of those cities and those towns and in the churches. I mean, they've been a blessing. I can honestly say we have been blessed in every situation. You're like, you must have been in great uh, situations. In, in some ways, in many ways, yes. But as I thought about this this week, it has been a choice to choose joy in those situations at times. See, no matter where you're at, no matter where you work, no matter where you serve, no matter where you go to school, no matter what you're faced with today, how you feel, listen to this, how you feel about the place you live, work, serve, or worship has more to say about who you are than the place. Because there's going to be times we have obstacles and people let us down, but how you feel about where you live, work, and serve says more about your heart than actually the things around you. I learned that the first year of ministry. First year of full-time ministry was in New Hope uh, Christian Church in Washington, Indiana, and things were going really well. I was their first uh, time to ever have a, a, a secondary full-time pastor. I was the youth minister, and the church was ready for it. They were kind of just hitting at their head on uh, 200 people, and, and when Tiff and I got there, the church grew from 200 to 300 in just uh, a year because we uh, were able to connect families uh, and the youth to the church. Entire families are coming to trust Jesus. We were excited. I was also naive. We, we began to go from one service to two services. We did a lot of things for the children, and some people didn't like it. I, I didn't know this until one morning I came to church, uh, got there about 8.30, opened the door, and just as I opened it, uh, a couple came r almost rushing out. And I, I said hello to greet them, and you know what they did? Didn't even look at me. They just grumbled, mumbled under the breath. I'm like, oh, this is something's different here. And, and I tried to engage them as they left, and, and they kind of hurried on out. I went into the, the office and asked the preacher, I said, hey, what's going on with so-and-so? He's like, well, they just told us they're very unhappy with the church. Too many things are changing, and they found a new, a new church, and they will not be worshiping with us anymore. They are done. I said, well, I, I hope they're happy at their new place they found. He goes, they won't be. <laughs> he had known them for years. He had counseled them before they came to New Hope. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, they left with their problem. And what he meant was they left with their same pain, their same anger, their same frustration that they came with. It just was disguised for a time. So here's my challenge for you. We have to choose joy. Because people uh, that are uh, full of pain and full of bitterness have to make a choice, no matter the circumstance around them, to choose joy, to choose happiness. And Paul's going to show us in today's text three new ways to do that. I'm going to give you three practical things we can do to live out joy. Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 1. This is one of my favorite chapters of the entire Bible. Uh, read the entire thing today if you, if you get a, even a, a few minutes. Uh, this is probably a, a portion of Scripture that I have quoted the last four years more than any other. It, it just shows us a beautiful picture of Jesus but first, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, we see a challenge from Paul to, for joy. Here's what he says. Therefore, 
We have to remember in chapter 1, he's talking about Jesus, Jesus, and he's telling us to pray and to to have gratitude because of what he's done and and to trust him. 18 different times he's telling us about Jesus. So then in chapter 2, he says, therefore, because of what you know about Jesus, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Jesus Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. Being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So he says, remember all the things I told you in chapter 1. Therefore, if you are blessed in any way, do these things and my joy is going to grow. And he says, your joy will grow because in all times rejoice. So what are these three things that we can do? I think the first simple thing is, it may seem too obvious, but it's look to Jesus. Once again, he has just laid out 18 different times that Jesus, we can trust him. We can trust him. So keep looking towards him. Look look to him to be your guide. Look to him to be that thing that you focus on when everything else is trying to get your attention. Let him be your main source of guidance. Let him be your focus. Because a lot of other things will try to be your focus. And they're not all bad. For example, children. As parents, I know this full well with five kids. It is very easy for my focus to become my kids and just surviving with the pace they have and all the things going on and all their needs. But that can't be my main focus. Or a bank account. It's good to focus on the bank account and see it grow or a retirement fund. Or maybe education or a career or a house or a hobby or athletics. Whatever our focus is, there is value in, in, in it often. But what happens if that's your main focus that you're, you're being guided by and all of a sudden it's complete, it's gone or it's taken away? Let's say an athlete has a major injury. Or a high investment in stock market and all of a sudden it's gone. Or your kids graduate and move away. What is your guide going to be when that thing is removed? And Paul here is saying, look to Jesus. Let that be your focus. Let, that, let him be your guide. And here's how. By being like-minded. United in spirit and purpose. Look back to Philippians chapter 1 again real quickly. It says this. Standing together with one spirit and one purpose. Fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Here's our purpose, the good news, which is completed in Jesus. Here's the good news in a nutshell. Jesus Christ came, and like Andrea said, was born a fully man. He was still fully God. And he, even though he was God, allowed himself to be crucified on the cross, to be our servant, our sacrifice. And he arose from the grave and is waiting to return to claim those who have been forgiven of sins through his blood. That is the good news. And he says, that is our purpose. Stay focused on that. But unless we're like-minded in Christ, we can be divided. It's amazing. I've been in ministry 20 years now. I can remember 9-11. That was the first fall of my first ministry, getting ready to kick off student ministry in Washington, Indiana, and the world's turned upside down. But you know what? That, that united us. Since the last 20 years, I've seen... Time and time again, things divide the church. Little things like color of carpet. You're like, really? Yeah, I've seen it. Music, ministers that come and go, uh, programs. And and we're in a time of division as great as I've ever seen. The idea that Paul calls us to be like-minded is a big obstacle. 
Because Christ has to be our focus and at times will be divided. I, I did a little research. I don't know if you know this. It blew me away. There are 45,000 plus different sects of religion, different denominations of religions in the world. 45,000. America, I think, uh, luckily has less than a thousand. But can you even imagine a thousand different denominations in America? Our, our world is so divided on what we believe. And, and, and some of the things should divide us. For example, if, if a faith does not claim Jesus Christ as a ridden Lord, Lord and Savior, have nothing to do with that religious movement, period. If Jesus isn't the leader, if he's the king, you, you should part company with that. If they're not willing to, to remember the body and blood in communion, that, that's a division. And, but at, at, at sometimes we need to, to be united on those core principles instead of divide on everything else, like the style of music. Or if people should have to pay for where they sit. Or, or who can, who can uh, do this or that. Sometimes we need to, to focus on unity instead of division. I have spent enough time in church board meetings and seen enough social media posts to know that it is hard to be like-minded. I have been in meetings and on social media with Christians where the last thing that we ever talk about is Jesus, but we talk about all the stuff that divides us. So Paul says, be like-minded on the gospel. Sometimes we can be like-minded on the simplest of things. For example, if we're honest, we're not unified today on the temperature within the room, the thermostat reading. Um, it is currently set at 72, and I feel like it's fairly comfortable, but I'm not in charge of that. I don't even have the app on my phone. That's out of my hands, but I know it's on 72. Some of you would prefer 52. If you, if you would prefer 52, raise your hand. Okay. How many of you would prefer 92? Some of you would. We are divided, okay? You get my point. And honestly, right now in the church, we're not on the same page on things that are much more important than temperature of the thermostat. So we've got to look to Jesus. Some of you are thinking right now, Tyson, you better hurry up. It's getting kind of late in the sermon already and you're still on point one. That's what some of your mindset is on. Others of you are like, man, this is the best sermon series we've had in a long time. I can't wait to get to point two and three. Some of you are thinking, get hurried up because you didn't eat breakfast and you're hungry, right? You're ready to go for lunch. Let me ask you this. This is just an illustration. How many of you are pretty confident where you're going after church in the next hour? Raise your hand if you know where you're heading. Okay. Guys, if your hand's not raised, ask your wife. She'll help you fill, figure that out. Just figure, just because I want you to know, because we're going we're gonna to share that in a minute. So if you need to tell him where he's going, let him know. In just a minute, I want you to share out loud where you're going after church. It might be grandma's house. It might be a restaurant. Maybe you're going home to watch football. Maybe you're going to the lake one more weekend. You know, you're going to uh, play on the lake. You may be going to a game. So raise your hand if you know where you're going. You have some clue now. I need your help. In all honesty, I'm going to count to three, and I want you to yell out where you're going. I'm going to try to figure out where you're going. See if we're going the same place. Because if you're all going to Lou Bob's, I'll go to somewhere else today because you can only handle so many. Okay, ready? Yell it out. One, two, three. Okay. I learned nothing from that, okay? The purpose of that is showing that we are a mess at times with our minds based on we're all going different directions now here's the cool part it's going to be a lot more entertaining and encouraging there's something that's amazing that's going to happen you're going to see that we're unified there's a singular reason we are here 
We have gathered here today, we've come to this place to worship the name above all names, the name uh, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess, the name of our Lord and Savior who died on the cross and who is risen, and we can gather and be united in him. In his name, on the count of three, I want you to say it with confidence. One, two, three. Jesus. Isn't that so good to hear that unity? Now, we could have even said Christ. We could have said the Lord. That wouldn't have been wrong. But I love the fact you said, Jesus, I, I helped you a little bit. I put it on the screen, I know. But we need to be focused and looking to Jesus. We need to have a like-minded mindset, united in the purpose of the gospel. And when we move from that, you know who wins? Satan, because he wants to divide us. He wants to distract us. He loves it when we debate, when we belittle, and we berate one another. So here's the thing. Be united on Christ and focus on him. Andrew already read it, but I'm going to read it again. We might read it every Sunday this month. Hebrews 12 tells us this. Look to Jesus. It says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We're looking to the one on the throne. Here, here's the thing. If you resist that now, you can be like, Tyson, I don't need to focus on Jesus. Uh, my bank account, uh, my kids, uh, my, my vacation is what I'm focus on. I'm going to focus on that. There will be a day where no one will look anywhere than Jesus, so I would suggest you do it now. And, and, and have the blessing of it now because it will someday last for eternity. Here's the second focus that he asks us to do. Not only we look to Jesus, but we also look to the interest of others. Look to the interest of others being humble and serving others. Here's what it says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vacancy. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Paul puts it plain. He says, look to Jesus and don't look to yourself. First, look to the interest of others. That is not the way the world trains us. The world promotes and glorifies self-interest, self-promotion, while the word of God elevates service. It became very clear to me. No, no one of you, not anyone would really argue this. We are living in a world that... that wants to please self and we're tempted to buy into that really easily but it's becoming more and more obvious more and more blatant and sometimes it just makes me want to scream a couple weeks ago I was upstairs at the house and I was just doing something in the living room and Daly and Drake were downstairs in the basement and Daly was playing and and Tiffany had told them to pick up and and make sure the basement was ready to go for what was happening next and out of the blue I caught Daly say this princesses don't do chores And I, I ignored it. I did what some fathers are tempted to do often. I thought, well, this will work itself out. A little bit later, I heard it again. Princesses don't do chores. And I went down there and I said, Daly, where did you hear that? I said, Daly, get busy. For one, you're not a princess. And secondly, you're doing chores. And she said she heard it on a cartoon. And I actually had her show it to me. And the main idea of this cartoon was that it was dealing with this little princess was convinced that she didn't do chores. And whether it had a good ending or not, all Daly heard was princesses don't do chores. And she's like, that sounds like a good plan. <laughs> but how many times have we been programmed, whether you think you're a prince or princess, king or queen, you don't have to do what you don't want to do because by golly, you are what's most important.
Our world has been training us for a long time to think of ourselves. Do you know that in our world today, every day, over 200 million selfies are taken? I'm not against selfies. In fact, uh, probably three or four years ago, I asked, uh, Tiffany's like, what do you want for Christmas? I said, I want one of those selfie sticks. By the time I got the selfie sticks, they were already uncool, you know? So I got it out one time and I was like, nobody else is doing this at all, okay? So, so I'm not opposed to the selfie stick. I took a selfie with my dad yesterday. A selfie still is a selfie if someone else is in it, right? So help me out. I'm, okay, it doesn't matter. But somehow or another, our world is identifying more selfies are taken than other type of pictures. It's this idea, I, I want to capture me instead of the world around me. And I, I don't believe that is all bad. But here's the thing, when we're so focused on ourselves and all we take are selfies, uh, we, we go to another level because there was this recent study that showed uh, youth, young adults who, who take more selfies, like a, an extravagant amount of selfies, have a greater... Uh, a greater chance of having high anxiety and worry about self-image to the point where they are depressed, uh, uh, they are looking for value in, in places that are unhealthy. And this, this study went on to say that the, the number of selfies taken are directly correlating to anxiety within young people. But they're, they are pressured into making that selfie look almost perfect. But here's what happens when we overemphasize ourselves. This is the most natural. You overemphasize yourself, whether it's academics, athletics, or a bank account, or grandchildren, or your house, and you're overemphasizing what you have, you're never going to live up to your expectation, and it robs your joy, because you may have all these blessings, but these two things don't translate to the, the world of self, and you are overwhelmed by what you don't have, and the joy is robbed. So be very careful to make it all about you being perfect, because we'll never be perfect. The flip side of that is if you overfocus on yourself and you think you are perfect and you really, really like yourself, you'll like yourself so much that no one else can stand you and it'll rob your joy. So who do we need to focus on first? Not ourselves, others. Specifically, Jesus. Look what Jesus said in Mark chapter 12. He said this more than once, but he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. This is, there is no commandment greater than these. Jesus says, love God, love others. If that sounds familiar, it's because it's our mission statement. Love God, love people, and serve all. Uh, if you missed it today, right on the other side of the exit sign, on the, the header of the door outside, uh, it's the new thing that we've posted there. Uh, there have been a great phrase there for many years about grace, but this is our mission. As you come in and as you leave, know that we're to love God, love people, and serve all. But when we mix that up and we love ourselves first, there's no joy. Because you're either going to be conceited or you're going to lack confidence. So love God, love people, and serve all. So you're going to look to Jesus, look to others, and then there's a reality, you look to yourself. You just said, Tyson, don't look to yourself. There's a time after you put Jesus in the proper place and others, you do need to evaluate yourself. Even the word of God says, as we come to communion, you would examine your own heart. There's a time when we need to also examine our attitudes, our heart, very similar. Look what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. So look at yourself and be the same as Christ. 
Paul describes what Christ should look like perfectly, what he, what he does look like and what we should look like. Look with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 6. So he says, your attitude should be as Christ. Be like him. Well, this is what he's like. This is going to blow you away. He says, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. What that means, he didn't hold on to it too, too tightly. He didn't say, you can't take this away from me. He says, I'm, I'm willing to become a human. He made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And here's what Paul's saying. When you look at yourself, make sure you're looking like Jesus, that you'd be willing to sacrifice it all. What's interesting, after you look to Jesus and others, he says you really want to evaluate how you're doing. Consider if you're looking like Jesus again. Because that's what we're supposed to be. The creator of all things became a created being as a human. If that wasn't enough, then he became a servant to his creation by dying for us. And Paul says that is the way our attitude should be. That's the way we should live like Jesus. So here's the question if you're looking for joy. The question is how good you're doing, how awesome you are, how amazing you are. It's not a question of how beautiful you are, how smart you are, how powerful you are. Here's the question. Are you like Jesus? I don't ask myself that enough. Sometimes I ask myself, am I like this preacher? Am I like this father? Am I like this wannabe athlete, okay? You know, that, there, there's a lot of things we still compare ourselves to. Jesus is inspiring the Apostle Paul through the Holy Spirit to say, ask yourself, are you like me? The author and perfecter of her faith. So how are you doing? What are you looking like? It's not really that hard to, to convey, but it's hard to live. Looking like Jesus and serving others is who you're created to be. And when we do that, when we look like Jesus, that's where our joy comes from. Because when I look like Jesus, I begin to be what I was created to be. First and foremost, of anything else I am, if I'm a follower of Christ and looking like him, that's where joy is. It's not hard to understand, but it's hard to live. See, joy is Jesus first other second, and yourself third. How many of you have heard that before? I heard that in like fifth grade. I have never put it in the context of Philippians chapter two and put some flesh and meat on it and practice to it. But, but God is calling us uh, to put Jesus first, to other second, and yourself third. And in that, you can have joy even when the world is brutal. Remember I told you that my mom modeled joy well? When I was looking for a picture of mom and dad this week on my computer, I came across another picture of my mom and it reminded me just how much joy, how strong her joy is. Here, this is a picture of my mom. She's there, uh, kind of uh, this, this, the woman standing all the way to the right. She is standing by my former youth minister, David Bean, and she is standing right behind my former uh, children's choir director that, that I was a, a star student in, you could tell by my performance earlier, named Karen Jones. They are major major influences of my life. A youth minister and my choir director as a young child. Uh, we would also just have fellowship together around ice cream and food and, and football and basketball. Uh, these people are monumental to my life. A lot of joy and happiness in their relationship around Jesus. A few years back, David, who was my 
youth minister growing up, and then in my college years, he was our pastor, our preacher. Uh, later on, uh, as I began to be in ministry myself, I worked with him out at Camp Leanna. He became the camp manager of the camp I served at in my youth ministry in, in New Hope. So he was the camp manager after being a preacher and a youth minister. Big part of our life, big influence to the community. One day he was trimming a tree at camp, and you may have heard the story, but he was trimming a tree limb, and somehow that tree limb fell and hit him on the head, and he died instantly. And I looked to my mom and dad for a model of how to handle that again. And while we were sad, while there was no happiness, my mom and my dad, in the close relationship with him and his family, displayed immediate joy and complete trust in Jesus. And the community did, and so did the church. And he is, has left behind a legacy of trust in Jesus, even in the midst of that tragedy. Karen Jones stands, sits right in front of my mom. Like I said, she was my uh, choir director as a young boy and, and taught us in Sunday school. In recent months, she was diagnosed with cancer. And she was in a quick battle with cancer, and she uh, not long ago passed away. And once again, I looked to my mom and dad for guidance on how to deal with that burden, that sorrow. And while there was no happiness, guys, just like that, there was a, a sincere sense of joy and contentment and trust in Jesus. Because Karen lived her life, much like David, with complete confidence in Christ and Christ alone. There will be a day where we're all faced with that tragedy, whether it's instantaneous, whether it's because of sickness, and life is short, and sorrow is real. Jesus gives us direction on how to handle pain like that in John chapter 16. Ben read this in worship just last week, and here's what it says. Jesus, these are the words. He says, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. That's not going to stop until Jesus returns. There's going to be times when you're like, why is everyone else happy? Why is the world rejoicing? Why are they thinking like everything's fine? And you're going to be mourning and you're going to have sorrow. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. It says it's like a woman giving birth to a child has pain because the time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time to grieve. That may be where you're at, grieving and sorrow. But I will see you again, and you'll rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. As we trust in Jesus, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you'll face, there may be a time you grieve and have pain and sorrow, but Jesus declares, I will see you again, and no one will take that joy away. See, true joy is the same as last week. It's never going to change. It comes from trusting in him looking to him, uh, looking to, to serve others like he did, and then evaluating your life in relationship to who he is. And when we see him again, Paul gives us a glimpse of what it's going to be like in heaven. Remember in verse 8 of Philippians chapter 2, he says, and he died a death on a cross. But look what it says in verse 9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When Jesus returns, we're going to see him seated on a throne. And whether you've confessed him on earth or not, there will be a, name where, there will be a day where everybody knows Jesus Christ is who he said he is, the King, King, and Lord of Lords. 
And trusting him in now is what gives you the path to joy forever. So today I'm going to make this really plain. The last two weeks, we've studied three different things each week of things you can do to have joy. You can, you can try those uh, for the next 20 years. Uh, six things you could do to pursue joy. But until you trust Jesus, you're going to be chasing after something that can never be captured. But when you trust him, these things that we're talking about today, having gratitude and praying for others, having confidence in Christ, looking to him, looking to serve others, and adjusting your attitude, you'll have progress that you never thought was possible. Would you stand with me? If you need to make a decision today, if you need to say, I'm ready to trust Jesus, man, would you come forward as we sing? Maybe you're ready to be a part of a church that's focused on joy when the world is running in chaos and you're just ready to come forward and say, I want to be a part of this church family. Man, the, the opportunity is wide open. Take a step with us, with Jesus. Father in heaven, I pray that we give you glory, that we lift up the name of Jesus again right now. Lord, if someone here needs to trust in him and place that, that trust uh, as him as their Lord and Savior, I pray that they, they make that step of faith and we can stand together in it. In Jesus' name, amen.